Hey, 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 Closet Busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, Life Uncloseted family, and we are talking about family today, not just our LGBTQ family, but what happens when you decide family is really important to you as an LGBTQ individual. And we all have heard the stories like, okay, well, hey, let's adopt, let's foster, let's you know, inseminate. I mean, we've gone through this a little bit before, but sometimes the most overlooked space is the one that I put there in the middle. What about fostering to adoption? And what happens when that foster care, it works or it doesn't work or you're fostering, everything's good. And then there's a pitfall. They reunify. You put all this effort into being a parent. Well, today I'm really excited for a new book that is just about to come out. It's coming out at the end of the month here in January. The guest is Mark Daly. He is the author of a brand new book called Safe, a memoir of fatherhood, foster care, and the risk we take for family, which we all know there's risk to take to have a family, no matter what, how you do it. And I'm excited to have him share his story, talk about his book, talk about what it means for him and his husband to be parents and the roads that they've taken there. So, um, Mark, I just want to say welcome to the family here on Life Uncloseted and congrats on the book coming out, man. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Rick. So happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. So you just decided one day I'm going to have kids and bada bing, it happened, right? It's just done. It just happens overnight, right? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, there, there really is no such thing as an unplanned pregnancy in the gay world. So try as we might, we, we just can't get, our, get ourselves pregnant. Um, right. I, I know. Well, we can try and that's part of the fun. We keep trying, but it just doesn't really happen. So um, <laughs> it is but, fun. Uh, you're right. You're yeah, it's definitely yeah. fun to try. Yeah. No, my, and, and, know, and I, it's I, fun to try to become a parent, too. I mean, that's kind of like, OK, not just not, not just talking the sex part. It's like, OK, well, you got to psych yourself up. And then there's all these other things. I remember when when we when I was married um, to my ex-wife. And we discovered we were pregnant. I was like on dad, like, okay, we're on, we're on dad mode immediately. I was already like, you know, and within two months I was creating the room and all. And she's like, really? Are we going? I'm like, yeah, we're going. So, um, but um, a little bit different than your journey. And I think that's what I'd love to talk about is like, you know, what, what brought you to that space of parenting is for me and, Here's the path I'm going to choose. I mean, let's give our audience a little bit of the backstory here. Absolutely. But I, I want to comment on, on your point there, too. You know, when you are having a traditional pregnancy, you've got these, you know, nine months of planning and things that go into it. And you know, you're going to get this baby that, you know, can't walk or whatever it is, you know, can't talk right. and all this stuff. But when you're fostering, you know, you set sort of an age range, uh, you know, zero to three or whatever it is. And then you get a call and a couple hours later this kid is at your door and you don't have onesies that fit mm. them you you know don't have the right size diapers or bottles or other in sippy cups at that point like where are they so the planning is a lot different and it's it's yep. it's actually pretty comical at times I and mean, especially you know in our case we were 
not only first-time foster parents, we were first-time parents. So it was, we were just all over the place. Um, mm. And a lot of the fun, you know, stuff like that is the antics of stuff that I've included in the book. But, you know, for us, it really, um, I met my husband back um, in 2013. In 2015, he proposed to me. Um, I was very superstitious, told him I wanted to get married in October. So it either had to be in six months or in 18 months. And he opted for six months. So we had a very quick wedding. And, you know, I grew up like, you know, I'm in my mid forties here, but I, I grew up in a world where I didn't really know any gay parents. I mean, gay marriage was only legal, right? It's a little bit before we got married. Um, and so the idea of being a parent wasn't something that I really grew up thinking, oh, someday I'm going to be a parent. It just, you know, it wasn't an option uh, for me. And so as you know, being with him and seeing how good he was with his nieces and nephews and my nieces and nephews. And I just thought like, this guy needs to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started talking about it and he wanted kids and, and we were thinking about how do we do this? Um, and we had explored all of our options. We didn't really want to do a private adoption. I think it was just, we had, we had some friends who'd been on waiting lists for a very long time. We didn't want to wait for a long time. Um, right. You know, so it was either going to be surrogacy or, foster with the hope of adopting and i had been doing some consulting in the foster care space and i have some cousins who entered my family through foster care and my husband's family had done some kinship care where they they cared for family members and so we were both somewhat familiar with the the process itself and fostering just kind of spoke to us Hmm. so we we ultimately decided to pursue foster to adopt and that's where our story kicks off <laughs> in wow. the book. Well, and that's a beautiful space because I think this is the area that's often overlooked. I mean, we hear a lot about surrogacy or just, you know, private adoption, all these different things. But there are so many kids. I mean, the numbers are huge. Like how many kids are out there in the foster system? And yeah. a lot of times it can be, you know, the young ones, obviously. But then what I think a lot of people miss is, a lot of times foster stuff comes because there's a problem in the familial household that right. could happen at any given time. You know, it could be a kid could be five, it could yep. be seven, they could be 12 for that matter, you know? And so suddenly boom, you know, here's this child. I know some friends of mine were in the system and, and were able to foster a child for a bit and they were, you know, Kind of like what you described. They're like, we we're willing to take, you know, an older child, you know, three to seven. Yeah. Um, and then out of this blue, it happened. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're this is happening like today. This is yeah. you know, happening. And it was the way they wanted to do it. They were like, This is the this is our pathway forward. Sure, they would have loved to have right. their own DNA, so to speak, in some way, shape, or form, but their heart said there's too many out there already that need this help. So why do you feel like from your own experience that this is just such a different pathway than the normals? Because there's different challenges, I'm quite sure, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that it is, um, you know, I will say that same-sex couples are one of the fastest growing demographics in the foster care space. You know, children Mm -hmm. are... Um, same-sex couples are, are two times more likely to be fostering and three times more likely to have adopted a child than um, heterosexual couples in that sense. So it's it's definitely a growing demographic in there, which is wonderful. You know, I, I think in many ways, obviously, you know, as we were joking about but the idea that we can't get pregnant, 
um, uh, you know, they're that through, <laughs> through, through, because of biology on that end, it, there's one reason, right? The other side is, of course, you know, someone pointed this out to me recently, this, this notion of like, so many people in our uh, community have, we really cling to our chosen family. And we really see that the value in that. And, and I think, you know, I grew up in a family where my family was very accepting and, and understanding and supportive and loving and nothing changed when I came out. But for so many LGBT family people, that's not the case. And so chosen family is so important. And so adoption is just another extension of that. I mean, we understand why it is so important to have people who love you and, and care for you and that connection and that sense of belonging. Um, and I think that's why, you know, so many of us are, are jumping into foster adopt as a, as a way to build our own families. Yeah. And it gives us an opportunity as a community to, I think another way to like prove once again, we are willing to be parents and I'm not saying oh, yeah. other parents who procreate aren't, but there are times I'm like the hoops we have to jump through to become parents. If you're in yeah. the artificial insemination or the adoption or foster care there's so much more the the bar is so much higher because of absolutely for so many reasons you know which i know you can talk to in a, in a, numerous ways so as you and your husband made this decision like was it immediately unanimous or was, were either one of you kind of a holdback like mm, i don't know about being a parent no, I mean, I think it was honestly when when I realized he wanted to be a parent and then when I saw him engaging with the kids in our lives, you know, I was just like, oh, he really needs to be a parent. And I think for me, it became this time where I was like, this is, I could do this, you know, I could get on board with this because I'd be doing it with him, you know? And so um, we had this really funny story, which I put in the book where we had gone to a surrogacy office and this was right before, you know, Christmas break. And we had met with the the owner of the agency and she couldn't have been more lovely. And she had brought in a staff member of hers who was an actual surrogate. And I sitting in this room and I'm, I literally started like crying. And I, and a part of me was like, it's because they had cats in the office and I'm allergic to cats. I'm like, maybe it's that. And, you know, but it was also this woman telling the story of how she had already had two kids and she wanted to give another family the ability to do, you know, experience what she had that couldn't experience. I was like, my God, I can't believe people actually do this. This is so amazing. You know, it was just, and I couldn't believe that we could have a biological child in that sense, you know? Um, and then we, we told them, we're like, you know, we'll get back to you right in the beginning of the new year. And we had gone out to North Carolina for a wedding and we, for over new years, and we had breakfast with a young woman who was in college at the time. And she was part of this nonprofit that I was doing some, some work with. And she said to us, it, we were having breakfast with her and over the breakfast, she said, you know, I grew up, without my mother and while mm -hmm. i had these and, and of course you know we're both sitting there with this realization of like well any kid we have is going to grow up without their mother too you know right and she said and while i always had biological i well, i always had um, maternal figures in my life many of them had biological children before they had me so i always felt like i came second and we kind of like looked at each other and had this realization like we got in the we got in a rental car after breakfast and you know, Jason said to me, my husband said, you know, I think we should um, maybe foster first and then do surrogacy based upon really what what Mariah, this young woman had just said. And I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And so, you know, by the time we had gone to the airport, we had already like reached out to some agencies and, you know, we just were, we were moving fast. <laughs>
Well, and that makes sense. I mean, I think this is what you just brought up is something that I'm not sure a lot of people even think about. I mean, we, I was raised in a biological family scenario. So there was just, you know, Hey, I I was the oldest. So yay me. And right. That sucks me too. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. I, you know, I I was on my own person for a while. And then what's this thing that just entered into my world and screwed everything up, you know? And then, Oh, well I have to act this way, but he didn't have to do this. Like, you know, welcome, you know, but I think that happens in many things, but I think it is a very interesting twist on how do you integrate you know, children into these spaces where if they don't feel like they're on the same level playing field, so to speak, and that's going to be an any childhood thing. But I love Absolutely. what you just shared because that is a piece of the puzzle. My my mom happens to be adopted and her brother mm-hmm. happens to be adopted and they weren't biological brother and sister. They just two separate adoptions. And it's always been one of those things where, OK, at least on that field, it was level. They were both adopted. There wasn't any like, oh, well, I came in. In my family, there are a lot of different people throughout different familial structures in my dad's side of the family where there has been biological and adoption and some fostering and all that sort of stuff. And I can see everything you just described. It's always been kind of like, I don't feel like I quite fit in and others like, you know, and I think it comes down to how the family makes that child feel. Like it's, yeah. it's always going to be, you know, the difference. So as you both came into this realization, I'm sure there were things that you had to think about as a same sex couple, like, okay, how easy is this going to be? How difficult is this going to be? What were some of the challenges that you started facing as you stepped into fostering as a same sex couple? You know, it's funny. We are, um, when, so we live in Los Angeles County and so yeah. Los Angeles is not a microcosm of the rest of the of the rest of the country. And so that I mean, I say that with the disclaimer. So I wasn't really as concerned as I mm-hmm. think people in other states would be, right? I mean, there are 15 right. states that don't have laws in the book prohibiting discrimination in, in adoption, right? So there's definitely um, you know, so so I say I, I say that to preface my answer with like we basically walked into our foster parent classes like skipping. We had called mm-hmm. a, a nonprofit that helps families, you know, who are going through this process, find out what agency is best to work with for them and meets their needs and so on. And literally, they all called us back right away. And, you know, through my advocacy work now, because I've actually do a lot more work in the space um, than I did prior to having kids, we, um, I've learned that, like, I've had, I can't tell you how many social workers say to me, when a same-sex couple appears at our agency, we, like, shove people out of the way to work with them we're like you know because we know they are here because they made this decision to do this they Mm -hmm. really want to be here they are going to advocate for this child like none other and it's not to say that heterosexual people aren't great great parents i happen to have had two wonderful parents who are heterosexual but there's and, and, and a lot of people are but it's just that we're there because this is a this is a strong decision that we feel we wanted to make um and and everyone else is too but they're you know they they push us to the front in that sense um and we tend to be much more resourceful and like whatever it takes for kids to whatever kid needs we're gonna fight for we're gonna get it you know Mm. so we just literally like skipped into class thinking you know this is great we're gonna go in we're gonna do our you know our, our hours of training here and we're gonna walk out with a baby and life's gonna be wonderful and that's really, you know, that's sort of where my book opens. And then it tells you <laughs> that it's a roller coaster. You know, you're on the edge of your seat. 
and yep. and the hardest the part time. is your heart you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, the, i have another um gay couple friend in la area that i i watched them go through this a couple of times and you know they got their kids now they're solid and they've actually gone from foster to adoption with the two children they have but the first couple of times and they're both just very heart-centered guys very heart-centered guys and one in particular i'm like are you sure you really want to do it this way man because i know you too well you latch on not that you know the way he dated men was any sign but it actually was it's like i saw you latch on to things man and you know you're gonna you're probably gonna latch on to a kid and then what if reunification happens your your heart's gonna break man i'm just telling you and the first time yeah. it happened he was kind of there right the second go around he kind of got back into his head a little bit more it's still not easy i mean i i no. can't imagine i'm a biological father and if anything happened to either one of my kids, I'd be like, oof, right? But um, I think yeah. what you just brought up is also an interesting twist on what we are seeing right now with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's like, there's going to Absolutely. be, in my perspective, and I think a lot of people's perspective, this is only going to open up the floodgates of kids that are not necessarily, quote, wanted. Yeah, I, I think it's... um, I. I it's interesting. I, you know, I've actually been looking into this to figure out, like, can we actually look at numbers and say that that has actually happened? And the truth is, we really can't say that. And and for other reasons. And what has happened is a lot of states have changed the way that they like the criteria that it requires in order for a kid to go into foster care. So it used to be in many places that it was neglect or abuse, right? Yeah. Well, the definition of neglect is gray. It means one thing to you. It means another thing to someone else. So, yeah. you know, a, ch- a parent working two jobs, you know, and, and leaving their kids home at night alone might look like a family struggling with poverty to one person, but it might look like a neglect to somebody else. And so mm-hmm. does that child get removed or those children get removed? It's it's subjective, right? And then yeah. other times there's, you know, the clear abuse, right? Which is, you know, obviously hurting a child. So there's, they've changed sort of these definitions in different places. You know, neglect is no longer an option in some states. And so what we've seen is that, a, a decline in the number of kids going in overall, but since Roe has been overturned, we've seen a slightly less of a rapid decline in that case. Mm-hmm. So it, and it's still tough to say because the decision was only you know a year and a half long ago, yeah. and yeah. you still have a gestational period to factor in, and so on. So it's really hard to yeah. look at in that sense, but um, yeah. no doubt. I mean, you're you know you're we're dealing with a government that doesn't adequately fund support services for children once they're born and right. but is making it more difficult for women to take ownership of their own reproductive health and that is just appalling well and this is this is one well yeah this is one of the areas where you know the being short-staffed and under-resourced and all that stuff comes into play and then you mm-hmm. now add the burnout and everything else that happens in anything that is yeah. social services related and I speak from the truth because my husband works in social services. So I kind of have some insight yeah. in that arena and it makes it really hard. And, you know, with this numbers, and I know it changes probably on the daily, no pun intended about your last name, but you know, <laughs> when there's over at least, and maybe approaching even 500,000 kids at any day, given day in foster care, there's not enough resources. I don't care what anybody says. There's not enough resources to manage it. And then you have the ones who take on foster care kids for all the wrong reasons too. So there's just this continuum of how do we stop this? 
or how do we at least start to go beyond just band-aid remedies and step into it and i feel like the uh, ability for anyone to take on foster kids but especially same-sex couples to be able to take them on should be like we want these kids we want children you know and i'm not saying yeah. all lgbtq same-sex couples want them right. in this manner but to make it more readily available and prevalent is only going to help us as a society do better and help these kids yeah. and and it won't contribute to the continuum of do we know you know kids who come out and aren't you know mentally healthy and well to do things and then we go oh wow that was the kid that was in foster care and again i'm generalizing here folks but i'm going to say it just as an example and then we wonder why that that kid may be the one who just pulls a gun on somebody and boom we you know i'm not saying all foster kids are there but mental health is mental health and if we don't start doing something to like let's put these kids in some places where it's really good for them love mm -hmm. is love and kids just need love. I'm not saying they don't need some discipline and stuff at all, but that love comes from a place of, hey, we can help you grow and do all these different things. And I think that's the beauty of what you and others that are willing to play in this space do is give opportunity for the potential for the child to move from foster into adoption and into uh, you know, a true family of being. So no, I appreciate you saying that. You know, and honestly, the reason I, I wrote this book was we had a um I mean, obviously I had a story that I, I wanted to share, right? But but yeah. my my hope is that um, there are, you know, as you mentioned, like roughly 400,000 kids on any given day in foster care, 700 enter every day into foster care. There's a critical need in every pocket of America for foster families, right? And obviously I, we, I want more people to consider this as an option. That being said, we don't need everyone and not everyone should do it. Like right. it is, it's not a very easy thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a very emotional journey and, and it's not for everyone. And I totally respect that. Um, but the, you know, there's things we can all do and it's, there's even little things. And, you know, I use the story of shortly after, um, when we started fostering, we were hosting a fundraiser for, um, Senator Gillibrand from New York and, mm -hmm. you know, she or the staff or someone had, were talking about her parental leave bill that she had introduced and so I asked the question, you know, does that parental leave include foster parents? And they said, yes, it includes, um, you know, people who adopt. And I said, well, you know, when you adopt from foster care, you've typically had the kid for 18 to 24 months before you're actually finalizing your adoption. So really when you need that bonding time and, and the, the, the staff cut me off and they were like, is on the front end. You know, I don't know the answer to that, Mark, but tomorrow it will. And I was like, well, that's mm -hmm. the best answer you could have given. And I think mm -hmm. for me, it's about getting this story out to a bunch of people so that when we're in those rooms and we're having those conversations, whether it's a political fundraiser or, you know, you're, whatever it is, you know, you're talking to your county supervisor and you're saying, what are you doing about foster care? Just the more that they hear about it, the more likely they are to take action, the more money they're going to invest, the more resources. But you're talking about a group of kids that are the most vulnerable people in this country. I mean, even, you know, we talk about elderly as vulnerable. Yes, of course they're vulnerable, but they can still vote. Right. And the politicians report that little kids don't even know how to vote. They don't even know what right. voting is. Right. So they need people like us stepping up for them and, and standing up for them. And truthfully, I mean, the LGBT community are just extremely well organized and a huge political faction. If, we're, if this were something we were taking on collectively, we could really make a tremendous headway.
Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing that we may be called to take this on more collectively. I mean, I think about this. Okay. So granted my kids are grown, so we're kind of beyond this, but I think about this a lot when I'm having conversations with people like you or people who are just starting, or maybe they're, you know, maybe they're coming through the teen years with kids that are either, you know, they've, they've, you know, surrogated or whatever. But when we see things like Roe v. Wade get overturned and we know that everything's on the line right now for us as LGBTQ, this is about ripping families apart. This could come down to that, you know, and what did that just do for us as a society? If, oh, because of who you are and who you love and who you sleep with and all this sort of stuff. Oh, that means you're not you know, able to be a good parent. Really? Mm -hmm. So you're all about, you know, family, family, family values, but let's rip a family apart with kids who are like, I just got, you know, settled in and I'm a few steps away, or I'm actually now adopted by this same sex couple. This is the stuff that to me is we've got to be paying attention and being vigilant because it's not just, you know, I've talked to some people in the community like, Oh, they'll never take away gay marriage. I'm like, really? We said that about abortion. You know, let's let's not be yeah. stupid. Let's not be stupid about this stuff. What no, have I you agree with you? What have you found as you, you know, other than writing a book and getting it marketed is just a real <laughs> it's a journey. Uh, <laughs> but what it have is. you found for yourself that by getting this out there, you know, it's about to be released? What did that do for you as a person, Mark? Oh my God. It is like the most therapeutic thing I've ever done for myself. You know, because the book, it chronicles our whole journey and, and what is honestly probably the, one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Um, but it, it also, I, you know, I go back to telling my backstory where I grew up and, and the shame that, that I held as a gay person. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we, we've all read The Velvet Rage and we've all, <laughs> I mean, there's so yep. many different things like that, that, you know, you, that is an, it, stuff that we we deal with you know um especially you know those of us like i'm like i said i'm in my 40s now and i think you know i grew up in a time where it was pre-will and grace you know and and the coverage Mm -hmm. of it on the news was people dying of aids and it wasn't i didn't know anyone who was out and who was gay as as a young person it just so it's very um it was a it was a different time and and that's i'm glad it was a different time and i'm I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that it continues to get better for for kids that are coming up now and they're seeing people like them in their day-to-day lives, you know? Well, I think that's the reason that, you know, most of us put something out there and, you know, is to have impact and to help people see, you know, what can happen and to help people realize, you know, oh, I'm not alone. You know, anybody who's listening, who may be considering the journey uh, to parenthood, however that's going to happen to realize much of what you've talked about is typical parenting stuff. It's the other pieces like this is very much related to this fostering, you know, but you're still going to wake up every day and have to deal with dirty diapers and, you know, a cranky (laughs) kid and somebody who, who comes out like I'm ready for school. And like, really that we're not going dressed like, you know, it's all (laughs) part of being a parent and, you know, I'm going to eat, you know, I'm not going to eat the peas, but as soon as grandma comes over, Oh, grandma, I love peas. And they, you're like, what the hell, you know, come on. (laughs) You know, <laughs> yep. uh, it's it's the normal stuff. But I think one of the things, too, that we we kind of touched on a little bit, but I want to make sure we really bring this to fruition, too, is you talk a lot about, you know, 
many of the things that society doesn't see as the bigger challenges, like where they come from. It's often like, mm -hmm. okay, well, these kids are just, you know, you've talked about, you know, abuse and stuff like that, but there's also like, how many kids are LGBTQ that are stuck in the system? How many people yeah. are, it's because of, you know, racism and stuff like that. And Jen, one of the things mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people really get is sometimes it can actually just be the pay gap that a family contends with. That is what ends up putting some child in a foster care situation. And some of the highest ones are the black and indigenous, you know, pieces. So yes. all of these things contribute, but sometimes if you're, if it's not, it's like anything else. <laughs> If you're not gay, you don't really care. You know, if I'm not a foster parent, I don't, I don't care. You know, Hey, I, right. I, I popped my sperm and boom, there was a kid. There we go. You know, it's pretty easy. Pain in the ass for 20 some odd years, but pretty easy overall. Right. So as you look at these different, you call it kind of, you know, like society's challenges around really understanding mm -hmm. foster care. I think you tried to bring that pretty prevalent out in the book as well. Like let's, let's look at the real things here, folks. And so what is you stuff and not to see? Yeah, I mean, thank you for, for bringing that up because I think honestly, that's such a, an important part to, to me personally, who I am as a person. I wanted to make sure that that was conveyed and, and I appreciate you for, for reading that and recognizing it. But to me, foster care really is the backstop. It's when kids have been failed by all of these other systemic issues or you know societal challenges, that's where they end up. Look, you know, a parent overdoses on opioids. Where do they end up? What happens to the kid? Foster care. You know, a the mass incarceration problem in America that is putting far too many, you know, men of, of color and women of color, honestly, too, in, in into into prisons is is creating a huge issue with foster care. You know, um, there there's so many different challenges that that we face as a, as a society that is pushing them in there, and then of course, you know, racism is definitely one of them. I mean, it, it, there's the the number of black children are you know two and a half times their their population you know represented in foster care and the same thing with indigenous youth um you know lgbt make up for about 30 percent of foster care which is definitely a lot higher than it would be for um the general population kids with with disabilities you know there was a, there was a study out of tennessee that i was just looking at that was basically said something um along the lines of kids that have autism are you know reported to the child abuse hotlines, you know, at a two and a half percent higher rate than kids that don't have autism by the age of eight. You know, I mean, wow. so there's so many different things. And, and we 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 need people who are willing to not only parent, but I think advocate, you know, and and sometimes that's both. It's parenting and and care, caring for your one child and, and advocating for them. But also we need advocates for the overall system. You know, we need more people saying, to governors and senators and congressmen like, hey, this is a priority for us. Right. You know, these are our future leaders. And if we don't stop the cycle now, it's just going to repeat. That's a major thing that that happened to us in our story is, you know, you we had this rose, rosy colored vision of where we're going to get this beautiful baby and be able to adopt it six months later. And that was not the case. You know, mm -hmm. um, we had parents that were working to try to get their children back and parents who we were spending time with through visits and we were getting to know and, you know, seeing the love they had for their children. And that's real. It's the same love any parent has for their child. And and so that hardest reality for me was understanding that for me to keep my family together, another family had to break apart. Mm -hmm. And that's a really difficult position to be in. I don't want to tear. I didn't never wanted to take somebody else's children who was capable of caring for their children. I wanted to take children who needed parents to keep them safe and love them and provide for them. 
but that's also another big piece of the understanding. So I'm going to go at the highest level first. I don't think there's any parent out there that doesn't realize that making and creating a safe environment for your child is important. Now, granted, Mm -hmm. when you get into the foster sort of spaces, there are parents who kind of lost sight of that. Let's just be realistic, you know, whether it's never had it for them. Well, yeah, exactly. It's never been modeled, you know, right. So it's a really hard, it's, it's really hard to say, oh, wow, crappy parent. If it hasn't been modeled, it's kind of like what you just alluded to. I mean, I, prior to the wheel and grace years and Ellen and all this sort of stuff there, you know, I, I'm jealous of kids today who are like, they kind of see the LGBTQ, even though at times it's still very ugly. Right. Yeah. They get, they get to see something at a whole different level that you and I did. Right. And right. You know, sometimes it's like if we just understood that what we get to model and show is what can actually is what actually determines what happens next in the future with kids and people and everything in general. So don't put it just on, oh, the parent was a screw up and everything. Well, maybe their parent was a screw up, too. And then their parent, you know, and these are the things that the more we come together and, you know, it's the typical like until you've stood in the shoes of somebody who's LGBTQ don't stand on your high horse. You don't get it. Right. You know, and until you've stood in the place of somebody who really wants to have a child and realize the challenges that they may have Mm -hmm. gay or straight, but I'm going to go down the LGBTQ path of you really want to have a child, but Oh no, here's a doorway. Nope. Can't do that. No, here's another. Nope. Can't do that because of some law in some state, like, no, you can't adopt and yada, yada, yada. The thing is, is there's too many examples of the kids are okay, not to quote the movie, but the kids are all right. right. I mean, I have a 24 and a, or no, almost 25, 25 and 28 year old. Okay. They're kind of screwed up in their own weird ways. Not because of <laughs> being gay. They're just, okay. This bad things are kind of weird because you do this stuff. Right. But there's no effect other than, yes, we went through a divorce. I'm not going to say there's no effect. because right. There was stuff that affected them, but they're both. I hate to say it, folks, they're healthy, happy, heterosexual yeah. women. Yeah. Maybe one's bisexual. I don't know. But, you know, we'll, <laughs> we're figuring that out. Um, but, you know, I don't care. The thing is, is overall, they're good. And I think it's really sad, Mark, when we don't open up our blinders. And this mm-hmm. has been such a great conversation to open up the blinders about. Here's some of the reality. If foster is not for you, then own that. If that's not for you, at least own that piece. Take it out of your equation for becoming a parent. But if it's a possibility, go figure it out and don't knock somebody who's like, I'm going to go through it. Because again, I'm going to say those of us who advocate for being parents and gay parents, oof, it's a job. Now to add to the layer that you're willing to like have your heart ripped out when you're fostering somebody and reunification happens, you know, wow, kudos to you. I don't know that I could do that. It would be really, really hard. I wouldn't do that yeah. now. I mean, I'm freaking 60 years old. I'm like, I'm done. No more raising <laughs> kids. <laughs> I, I would say though, you know, I think, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, the, the idea of LGBT parents and walking in their shoes, I think it also a big realization for me was being involved in the system and the way that, you know, as foster parents, we often felt like we were being told to show up and shut up, you know, like mm-hmm. be where, be where they tell us to be when they tell us to be make all, everyone else's life easier and, you know, which is, we were happy to do that, you know, 90% of the time. I mean, it was, there were times where, you know, I, we had a social worker call us one day and said, you know, I'll be at your house tomorrow at 11. And I was like, well, you'll be the only one. 
I mean, Jason's out of town. The kids are with the nanny. I got, you know, I'm at work. And, right. she, and she's like, well, you know, there's you, um, but you know, she's like, but it's the last day of the month and I haven't seen them. And so I had to rearrange my work schedule. And then she was 90 minutes late. And then she, you know, wow. it's just like this, ugh, you know, like right. you're just so annoyed. And I think part of it was this, this frustration that I felt was like, look, I'm a, you know, mildly successful white guy in my forties. I'm used to going into a room and being able to stay, speak my piece and be right. heard. And, you know, for parents in this situation who are disproportionately minority, um, who sometimes don't speak English, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, yep. the, there are often women, you know, more, most often women, honestly, yeah. you know, it is so much different. And I think like what I was going through as hard as it may have been for me, when I put myself in the shoes of the birth parents who, you know, are trying to get clean or sober or whatever it might be, it, you know, and, and, and of course get their kids back, which should, must be the most embarrassing, mortifying, devastating thing they've yeah. ever experienced in their life. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's a little bit easier to give them more grace, you know, yes. to, to, to understand what they're going through. And I think that's what I hope people come away with is like, people don't sign up to have their kids taken from them, nope. you know, it, it, and neglect often is, is something that's modeled in some ways, you know, yeah. oftentimes these people are victims and perpetrators. And I hate to use that, that simply, but you know, the stuff that has happened that occurred to their children occurred to them too. Absolutely. Um, and it, and it so just carries forward. You know, and so it's about yeah. breaking cycles, having more upstream interventions to prevent kids from going in, you know, certainly allowing women to have uh, con uh, you know, control over their own reproductive freedoms is the start of that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a whole other show we could do. Yeah. But, uh, that's a, yeah. <laughs> it's another. Well, Mark, I'm really excited for you, man. I am so excited for the book to come out. It's just a few weeks yeah, away, yeah. folks. You can get on and Amazon and all these other places. You can do some pre-orders. Again, the book is safe, a memoir for fatherhood, foster care. And the risks we take for family. Um, you modeled this so well, Mark. I love the I love the book. I've read a good portion of it. It's easy to consume and easy to have some fun with and and see the heart and soul of who you are as a man and your family. And um, I just wish you nothing but the best of luck, man, with this. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Man. Thank you for having me and giving me Absolutely. this opportunity. And thanks for the work you're doing. I so appreciate it. Well, and one of the things that I, when I really feel compelled by something I see like this, that I like to do, it's just a little nudge in the right direction for my listeners. They always know that if a book really tugs at my heart, that I'm going to give them a copy of it. So whoever sends me an email to Rick at rickclemens.com first, that says, I'd love to have Mark's book, whether you get it for yourself or give it to somebody, send me that email. I will pop an Amazon order to your mailbox for you just to help kind of spread the word. So, um, I really believe Thank in what you. you're doing, Mark. And um, as a fellow author, hey, any little bit we can get out there to get the books in places. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. So you're true. about to go on a, a rocky road, which you've already been on it. But it's a, it's the after the book comes out that it's like, okay, here we go. Right. We get to keep doing it. It's like raising a whole other kid, to be honest. So the, um, the world sees my vulnerability. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And your truth. And then one day somebody will walk up to you and go, didn't you write that? And you'll be like, oh, yeah. Oh, that was the biggest piece of shit I ever read. Oh, well, great. Thank you for telling that to my face. That really makes me feel really good. I yeah. put all the blood, sweat, and tears into it. But uh, I don't think I actually had anybody say that to my face. Online reviews, just don't read them, man. That's my advice. Oh, just yeah. Dine them off. So, But you, you've been around some other heavy hitters in the world, and they probably have modeled like how to not take anything seriously. So, um, But anyway. Yeah, you still work at it. Yeah, It always so. takes work.
Yeah. So, and if they want to get a hold of the book, it's everywhere, right? It'll be on all outlets. You name it. Um, and, and I think you have a website too, right? That people can go to I right do. Now? What's that it's website? It's markdaily.us. Okay. Uh, M-A-R-K-D-A-L-E-Y.us. Perfect. And that has well, all Mark, the links and events. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you again, man, so much for being here. I know this will be a great hit with my audience and um, I hope it helps propel some book sales and get you where you're trying to go with this amazing, beautiful message. So thanks so much, buddy. Thank you. I so appreciate it, Rick. Take care. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.